You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, for the last few weeks, we've been walking through a series called I Am Jesus in His Own Words. And uh, now last week, I thought, man, I'm just going to brush on the previous week and everyone will be throwing out those answers because everyone pays attention so well. And it was just like tumbleweed. It was just like... Have you ever seen when Bart Simpson tried to stand up to the bully? And he said, all these people are with me too. And then everyone was gone. And it was just, it's kind of how it felt last week. So for the last two weeks, we've been really excited and jumping into this series called I Am Jesus in His Own Words. The first week, we talked about Jesus saying, I am the, the bread of life. Fantastic. And last week, we talked to Jesus said, I am the Right, light shining in darkness, and we reflected on John chapter 1 as well, and the idea that it's a fantastic metaphor for, I would say, especially these days, um, where we, there seems to be a lot of darkness that's being thrown on us. But the reminder that we're given, such a beautiful metaphor, is that you can throw all the darkness you want onto light, and you cannot snuff a light out. And, and the light of Christ shall not be snuffed out. And hey, man, if, if you align your life with Christ, if you say I'm a part of his church, I'm, I'm a co-heir with Christ, that means the light that lives in you cannot be snuffed out. It doesn't matter the wind of ideologies that's sweeping through the West. doesn't matter what politically is going on. The light of Christ will not be snuffed out. Out. That is something to celebrate and sing about and cheer on and something to build your life on. Today, we are talking about Jesus I, saying, I am the door. I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 10, verse 1. John chapter 10, verse 1. And I'm going to go ahead and read it up here. This is out of the New Living Translation. And so I'm going to invite you to stand out of respect for God's word, the most important words you're going to be hearing today. Jesus says this in John chapter 10. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use, uh, use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these words. And for many of us, we've heard this idea before. We've reflected on it before. I pray you would, you would lay our hearts bare. You would, you would, through your spirit, give us a good soil in our hearts for what you might want to say to us today. In a very loud world, a very loud world, we pray we would learn what it means to listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. 
It is a, it is a loud, there's a lot there going about the voice of, of the shepherd that we are to follow. It, it often reminds me of a song from the 90s by a guy named Randy Stonehill. He said, it's an awfully loud world. You can't hear yourself think. It'll make you join a monastery or drive you to drink. I thought that is fitting for today. You're either in fetal position, <laughs> you, can't, you just can't handle it anymore, you're hiding out from the world, or you're completely engaged and you're involved in every, every dispute and, and every angry thing that's going on. What we're talking about today of Jesus being the door, being the shepherd that walks in through the door, uh, there's a handful of important parts to this theme. theme. In fact, there's a massive part of, of understanding the theme so that we, we, don't, uh, we don't place our Western uh, eyes uh, on our understanding of sheep. There's a few things we need to understand. There's not an animal in all of Scripture that gets more attention than sheep. And there's, there's two main reasons for that. One is that there's a lot of sheep in Israel, even today. And if some of you have been on a trip to Israel, I know Pastor Mark is actually taking another one in, in October. Um, if you've ever been there before, you can just be sitting listening to a lesson and all of a sudden a 12-year-old boy or girl will walk over across from the far end of the field uh, leading a bunch of sheep. So there's just there's sheep everywhere. The second reason that it's a great metaphor or a great topic and theme is that Israel is compared to sheep over and over and over and her leaders are compared to, to shepherds over and over. So uh, and, and the reasons that they're compared to shepherds often is not very good. And the reason you and I and followers of God are often compared to sheep is maybe not as positive as you might think. Now, as we look at these beautiful pictures, we think, oh, cute. Maybe not that one. But some of the other ones, cute. Yeah, look at that guy. Come on. Now, I'm sorry to tell you that the reason you and I are compared to sheep is not because we're cute. That's not the main reason. There, there's this great little book. It's an old book, but it's a fantastic devotional book, actually, called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And one of the things, that, I love this one illustration he, he gives that actually helps give us an idea uh, of why we're compared to sheep. And, and some of you might, might kind of understand kind of what he's going for here. But this, is, this book, this, this um, Philip Keller, who wrote this book, great shot there, by the way, fantastic. Uh, he was actually born in a missionary family in Kenya and was an actual shepherd, even as a child, in Kenya. So he knew a lot about shepherding. He actually passed away in the 90s in, uh, in the Okanagan, actually, which is quite interesting. But he's unpacking this, this theme of sheep, and, he's, and he talks about casting, for those of you who don't know, casting is when a sheep goes on its back and it can't get up. It needs one of those little buzzers. I've fallen and I can't get up. They, don't, they can't do that for some reason, though. This is what he says. He says, the cast sheep is a very pathetic sight. Lying on its back, its feet in the air, it flays, aw flays away frantically, struggling to stand up without success. Sometimes it will bleat a little for help, but generally it lies there lashing about in frightened frustration. If the owner does not arrive on the scene within a reasonable short time, the sheep will die. This is but another reason why it is so essential for a careful sheepman to look over his flock every day, counting them to see that they are all able to be up and on their feet. If one or two are missing, often the first thought to flash into the mind of the shepherd is, one of my sheep has cast, is cast somewhere and I must go and search for it and set it on its feet again. Some of you probably don't have to think too far to go, yeah, that metaphor works. <laughs> There's often where I feel like I'm on my back and I'm flailing about. Sometimes I'm so stubborn I don't want to ask for help. I'll figure it out myself. 
But in the animal kingdom, I, I, I got to tell you, sheep are the bottom of the barrel. They're the bottom of the barrel. They are, they're known for having limited intelligence. We can go to the next screen there, yeah. They're known for having limited intelligence. They are uncreative when it comes to finding food. Often sheep will follow through the same path over and over and over, even when the food's gone. So there could be path, there could be food to the left or to the right, and they will continue on the same path. They are known to wander. There are even reports of sheep wandering into open fire. They're not all there. <laughs> Just wandering into a fire. You know how it is. They're easily frightened and skittish, but sometimes they're unbelievably stubborn and unmovable. They've been known to die of thirst next to a, a rushing br brook because the noise scares them and they are horribly blind. So they'll hear the noise of a brook, which could be their, their life-saving source of living water, and they will just stand next to it, thirst, full of thirst, dying of thirst, in fact. Some have argued that sheep are the greatest argument against the theory of evolution, because there's no way sheep should still be around. <laughs> now that's funny, but it's not super flattering when you and I and all those who follow God are compared to sheep, that we, we act like sheep. You and I are walking into fires. We're creatures of habit. Even when there's no nourishment in it, can any of you reflect on that and think, man, I am still in the same kind of habits I was in, the same thrill I used to get for it, the same way it used to feed me. It's not there anymore, but I continue down these same habits. I'm not drinking from living water. I'm afraid to go over there. I'm afraid of what that will mean. There are so many spiritual connections between us and sheep. And you see this throughout Scripture. The psalmist, Psalm 100, verse 3, says this. He says, Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now, when I don't know about you. When I read a psalm like that, I go, Ah, oh, we're the sheep of his pasture. People who heard this when it was written would not have gone, Ah, oh, they go, that's not very nice. You're saying I'm like these sheep, these dumb, dumb sheep? You are the sheep of his pasture. Isaiah made it pretty clear that sheep are the perfect comparison for us in Isaiah 53. He says all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. The ones that, that, that bring food, we, we're, we've left those and we're going after the same old paths that have no good nourishment on them. Yet the Lord laid on him, the suffering servant, the sins of of us all. Well, you and I have a few things going against us when we try to, to, to understand what Scripture and what Jesus is trying to say to us because we have a very North American version of what it means to work with, with livestock. We're very distanced. For the most part, working with livestock today or animals is impersonal. It's, it's from a distance in many ways. Machines do a lot of the feeding. They could be they're prodded forward by, by uh, cattle prodders. Maybe they got a dog for the cows and the sheep. For the most part, massive machines and, and kind of capitalism and, and consumption kind of um, lays out the whole process that keeps us quite distanced. But shepherds in the first century, in first century Palestine, they had a very intimate relationship. With sheep, for one, you notice when in 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 John chapter ten that that the shepherd leads them, doesn't hit them from behind. The shepherd walks ahead, and the sheep just follow. He didn't know he didn't just know the sheep for a short time. He was in a the, the sheep anyway. Their lifelong relationship, the ten or twelve years that a sheep lives, they would spend often with the same shepherd or the or the same shepherding family. They weren't just made to get fat and then killed so that they could be eaten. It was the, the wool that they offered, so they, they, would, they would allow them to live for a very long time. The sheep weren't nameless 
and faceless masses. They were named and they were known by the shepherd. The, the very existence of the sheep was reliant on the shepherd. They had no life without the shepherd. That's why the, the image of Jesus in, in Matthew 9, verse 36 is so powerful and, and kind of gut-wrenching as, as Jesus is traveling through uh, and near Jerusalem and, and, and working with the, the people and he's about to feed them. He says this, he sa it says, he looked at the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, just like sheep, just like sheep without a shepherd. No one's protecting these sheep. No one's leading them. And so with all of that, as we look at John 10 and Jesus saying, I'm, I'm the gate, I am the protector, we see that he's saying two very important things to the people of Israel. To the people of Israel who've had a history of bad leaders, who've had a history of people leading them astray. There's two things. One is Jesus is telling them about his shepherd-like relationship to the sheep, and he's telling them about their shepherd-like provision for the sheep. So first we look at this relationship that Jesus, as the shepherd, as the gatekeeper, as the gate, as the door has with the sheep. In verses 1 to 6, I'll read, I'll read that again. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Oh, there's a little bit more there, isn't there? Sorry. After he, he gathered his own sheep, he walks ahead of them and they follow him. Notice that. He walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him because they don't know his voice. And those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. Well, that's not uncommon when we hear Jesus speak in the Gospels. There are two basic kinds of places, and this helps us get the, the image of what's going on here. Two basic kind of places where, where sheep were, were kept in, in the first century in Israel. One was out in the countryside. I think we have a, an image there, yeah. Kind of in, in, a, in a low kind of rock-built uh, corral with, with a, a narrow opening. This is a more modern-day one, and often they would not actually have a physical, physical gate on them. And then sometimes they would have one of these closer to town where it didn't just belong to a family or an individual shepherd, but all the shepherds from the community would put their sheep in the same corral. And there was often a professional gatekeeper who would hang out at the gate and he would only let certain people come in. The, the, the shepherds who owned the sheep would come in. A shepherd walking up to the corral, the gatekeeper would recognize him and he would allow him to come in. And then the shepherd would walk into a corral like this, but filled with sheep, not all of them his own. In fact, the majority of them not being his own or her own and walk around and start singing a song, start whistling, start calling out the names of the different sheep, just wandering around all of these different sheep and then walking out the gate, and his own sheep following his voice, listening to what he had to say, listening for their name, would walk out with him and the other sheep would remain. It's pretty magical. It's a pretty beautiful thought. So it wasn't just mechanical. It was a familial relationship. It wasn't just business. It was a relationship that they had with their master, with their shepherd. But the flip side of this is that sheep are so, so much creatures of habit, even if their shepherd was abusive and damaging, sometimes they would still follow his voice because it was familiar, even though he could still cause them some damage. And so as, as usual, Jesus' words here, they don't, they don't come from a vacuum. They're not speaking in to, to nothing. He's actually responding 
to something that's been going on in Israel. Something that's been going on actually even in this gospel. In chapter 9, Jesus has healed a man who was born blind. And he's, he's spoken life to him. This man has seen for the first time. And so the man goes before the Jewish religious leaders, and they, don't, they aren't excited. They aren't jumping up and down. They're saying, what? He healed you on the Sabbath? Way to put a wet cloth on a sign that God has delivered, that the Son of God has shown up. They were more concerned with following the rules of the law than seeing that this was an obvious move of God. So Jesus tracks down the blind man and the Pharisees that are grilling him with all these questions. And this interaction happens. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You've seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby, hey, heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. (laughs) A Jesus mic drop, truth bomb. And it's actually in response to this that Jesus begins to speak of the sheepfold and, and being the gate. He's saying, you, you say you have light, uh, but you've actually been dangerous to the sheep. You've actually been holding back the life that you are meant to give to the sheep. You haven't been leading them towards life. You've been leading them towards death. You haven't been leading them to, towards liberty and freedom. You've been putting law and weight on them. So, so you've moved from being sheep to those who, who would keep sheep from their true shepherd. But even though they would understand the imagery, they did not understand or get the point of his illustration. And so like usual, we see in verse 6, in, verse, in chapter 10, those who heard Jesus use this illustration did not, did not understand what he meant. So he's like, all right, here we go again. Let's try to make this a little more straightforward. So he unpacks a bit more spiritual truth. Jesus gives them a little bit more to unpack. He explains what what he brings as the shepherd of his people. What is this provision that he now brings as opposed to to what the past shepherds have brought? In verse 7, as we read, he explained to them, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and grow free, go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. We often quote that verse to, to believe that it's the devil, that Satan is the one who, whose purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus is actually going after the religious leaders of the day. And he's going after the religious leaders and the, the, the monarchs, in fact, of, of the past. And there, there's a bit of a, a transfer here. Because in the first half of what we read, verses 1 to 6, Jesus is kind of like the shepherd going into the corral. But here, he's the gate. He is the entrance to safety and an exit towards abundance. There's an interesting story that, that, that can help us understand this a bit. I, I was reading this this week as I was kind of uh, looking at, at this message of an Old Testament theologian who's sitting with an Arab shepherd, and he's asking him some questions about what it means to be a, a shepherd or a keeper at the gate and a shepherd. And he, he, this, this Arab um, shepherd shows him his corral, and he, he shows it to him and, and shows him where he kept his sheep, 
And the, the scholar said, well, is this where they sleep at night? And the shepherd said, yes. And he said, and when, in, when they're inside this corral, they're, they're safe? And he said, yes. But the scholar looked and he noticed there was no actual physical door. And he said, well, where's, where's the door? And the Arab shepherd said, I'm the door. He wasn't quoting Jesus. He said, I'm the door. And he said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, when it gets dark and the sheep are all inside, I lie at the open space and no sheep goes out without crossing my body and no wolf gets in unless it crosses my body. I am the door. Another mic drop, that's a mic drop. <laughs> the sheepfold in scripture has always represented those who belong to God the good shepherd. In a, in a certain way, he's saying to those who, who've got in before to shepherd his people, they were thieves and they were robbers. They were, there's a handful of spots in the Old Testament where the prophets are called to go after the leaders of Israel and say, you guys are messing up. You guys are supposed to be the protectors of the people of Israel. You're supposed to be the protectors of the children of God. You're supposed to be showing them where there's life and where there's flourishing, and you guys are just taking advantage of the sheep that I put in your care. One of the most powerful ones we find in the Old Testament is in Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, verses 1 to 5 says, Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds and leaders of Israel. He's not talking about shepherds, specifically the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, you wear the wool, and butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You've not taken care of the weak. You've not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You've not gone, basically, you haven't done everything that you're supposed to do. You've not, um, you've not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you've ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. It, it, it's broken my heart many times, and I know it's broken your heart many times when I hear of someone who's no longer a part of a church community because leadership has thrown heavy burden on them or there's been brokenness in relationship and they thought, well, I'm going to try it out there. I don't need church. I'll try it out there. And God puts a lot of burden on those who would lead God's people when they are the cause of a sheep running away. So I think in context, there's a, very much an, an aspect of Jesus, Jesus saying that he is leading his true sheep out of Judaism with all its rules, all its religious burden that the Pharisees and the scribes have given them, out of the influence of bad shepherds. But I think for you and I this morning, today, there's an important question to be asked as well. And that is, in the midst of a very loud world, will we listen to the voice of our shepherd? There are a lot of other voices saying, come follow me. There are a lot of other voices that sound just as nice and warm at times as the shepherd wandering through the corral, whistling a nice song, saying, follow me out, I'll show you something. A lot of those voices. You're going to hear a lot of them today after you leave this place. No shortage of voices, no shortage of causes. You guys can all go on your phones right now and you'll find plenty of causes. Calling out for you to follow and be mad. Be scared. There's no shortage of shepherds crying out, follow me. It's always been the case. There have always been those who are calling out for a purpose and a cause to follow and promising us something much better. After Jesus' death and resurrection, after he ascended into heaven and the, the church exploded out of, out of Jerusalem, 
That there, there's one instance in chapter 5 of Acts where, where all the religious leaders are getting together and trying to figure out what to do about this, this, this gospel that's moving forward and what to do with those who are proclaiming Jesus as resurrected. And, and Gamaliel, the, the, the high priest, says basically, hey, listen, there have been loads of movements in the past. And they're going to come and they're going to go. Because... If it's a lie, it's going to fall apart. This happens all the time. There's all sorts of shepherds. Some time ago, there was this fellow Theodos who pretended to be something, someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed, and all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. And after him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. In Acts chapter uh, uh, 21, Paul is accused of being, it's kind of interesting, he's, he's accused of being an Egyptian um, leader who, who took all these people out to the desert, all these assassins in verse 38. said, aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out into the desert? <laughs> I think Paul's like, uh, I'm a Jew from Tarsus. I'm not that guy. So even in the days of the early church, there were always voices and causes. Follow us. Follow me. We're going to win. We're going to fight against this opposition. We've got the, the right way to think through things and the right power. Whether back in the day it was the Hellenistic voices, the religious voices, the Greek voices, the philosophers, the Gnostics. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, we demolish arguments. Do we have it up there? Maybe not. Okay. In, in, in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We follow no other shepherds. We listen to our own shepherd. All other voices are put aside for the voice of the shepherd. Every moment we are invited to join a cause. Take every thought captive Every, every voice that tells us to get angry, take that thought captive to the good shepherd. Every voice that says, is it really worth it to follow your shepherd? Take that thought captive to Christ. How in a world so full of rage and fear and distress can we find a path, find food for our souls, find shelter, stop walking over the same paths over and over, finding no refreshment? How can we keep ourselves from emotionally and spiritually dying of thirst when there is living water so close? We are in dire need of a good shepherd. So the question for you and I this morning is, do we know our shepherd's voice? Do you know your shepherd's voice? Do you listen to your shepherd's voice? Do you engage with your shepherd each day? Do you, do you engage with other sheep who are following the same shepherd? I've heard people speak counterfeits to me this week. And I've had to take them captive and go, what does the good shepherd say about that? I, I've heard counterfeit ideas about how I ought to use my finances. <laughs> I've, I've heard other people give me counterfeit ideas of why their relationship can look a certain way in, the, in their romantic engagement because they don't, the rules don't apply to them in, in this situation. <laughs> and they've offered a, a counterfeit version of truth. Do you know your shepherd's voice? Do you listen for your shepherd? Do you recognize a fake? There's a lot of fakes out there. A lot of fakes. I'm not sure if this is the case anymore, and some of you have maybe heard this before, but... It used to be back in the day when they wanted to teach bank tellers how to figure out they were holding on to counterfeit. They didn't give them counterfeit. They didn't say, here's a real one. Here's a fake one. Look into both. Feel the difference. They just gave them a lot of real money. 
Feel this one. Smell this one. Feel this one. Smell this one. So that it would be so evident when a, when a fake bill came across their hands, they would go, that, something's not right about that. They were so used to the real thing. Are we so used to the real thing? Are we swimming in the waters of the gospel? Are we engaging with Christ in our day-to-day? Engaging with other sheep following the same shepherd? Have you ever heard a story, maybe a sermon, and you've gone, that doesn't sound right. And you might not even be able to name it. You might even be able to go, there's just, there's just something. Something that's a little off about that. Maybe it takes a little bit of, maybe it takes some time conversing with other people or doing a little bit of research, but you just realize something is not right there. We're called to follow the good shepherd who, who brings us to truth, who brings us to life, who gives us living water, so that when someone tries to lead us down a new path, an unfamiliar path, we will re- reject it and we will follow our good shepherd because he is the only one who can deliver what he promises, the only one who can deliver us rich and satisfying life. And it's a day-to-day thing. It is not a one-off thing. You and I have to make decisions every day in big and small ways. Will I follow the shepherd? Which path will I follow? Which voice will I follow? Because I tell you, I find myself, when I'm not careful, when my ears are not in tune to the good shepherd, I will find myself treading down the same path over and over and over, and there's no life there. I will find myself on my back, flailing around, and in trouble. Don't wait till you're on your back and your feet are in the air, (laughs) crying out for help. The good shepherd wants to guide you and keep you free of those areas. But that, that, is a, that is a decision we make right now. It's a decision we make uh, later on this afternoon. It's a decision we make when we wake up in the morning. Will we follow the voice of our shepherd into the safety of the corral and out into the abundance that he wants to lead us into? I'm going to close just with one more uh, read from uh, Keller's book here. He says, one cannot have it both ways. Either we belong or we don't. Jesus himself warned us that there would come a day when many would say, Lord, in your name we did many wonderful things. But he will retort that he never knew us as his own. It is a most serious and sobering thought which should make us search our own hearts and motives and personal relationship to him. Do I really belong to him? Do I really recognize his right to me as my shepherd? Do I respond to his authority and acknowledge his ownership? Do I find freedom and complete fulfillment in this agreement, in this arrangement? Do I sense a purpose and keep contentment because I am under his direction? Do I know rest and repose besides a definite sense of exciting adventure and belonging to him? If so, then with genuine gratitude and exultation, I can exclaim proudly, just as David the shepherd did. The Lord is my shepherd, and I'm thrilled to belong to him, for it is thus that I shall flourish and thrive no matter what life may bring to me. Let's pray. God, I I, I thank you that you do not leave us to wander. You do not leave us to um, continue on paths that bring danger, that lead to death and not life, but you offer us Away, And Jesus, you offer us a path through your very body. 
We thank you that because of your life, death, and resurrection, you have punched a hole through death, and so we need not fear death itself. We can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and be not afraid. And so I pray that this day we would take those steps to tune our hearts and minds to your voice. And for many of us, that might mean that we need to cut out some things in our life that are screaming for our attention, that are screaming that we follow down paths that do not bring life. Jesus, we pray that you would keep calling us by name. We pray that you would keep singing near us and we would continue to tune our, our, our ears to hear you, tune our, our hearts to follow you. For many of us, even this week, there have been uh, voices that we've listened to. And in big and small ways, they've led us to places we shouldn't be going. Maybe we've already passed certain, certain places we shouldn't be. Maybe we see them down the road. And if we continue this way, we're going to end up on our backs and in trouble. So through your spirit, please counsel us now in this moment. As our good shepherd, please sing over us now. Please call us by name now and Pull us off that path. May we listen and go to, to streams of living water, go to pastures of green. In, in a world that tells us we should be afraid, may we be at peace because we are tethered, we are close to our good shepherd. May we never try to lead you. <laughs> may we follow obediently behind you, for only in you do we find words of truth. Only in you do we find true words of hope and peace and identity. So if there are some of us here, maybe this is brand new to us. Maybe we've never come to a point where we say, you know what? I'm sick of walking down those paths. I'm sick of ending up on my back and crying out for help. Maybe this is the moment where we want to say to you, I'm done making my own paths. I want to follow the good shepherd. May this be the moment where we give our hearts over to you. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.